Warning. The terrible struggle of the thinking man and woman against political, social, and moral conventions owes its origin to the family, where the child is ever compelled to battle against the internal and external use of force. A young, delicate tree that is being clipped and cut by the gardener in order to give it an artificial form will never reach the majestic height and the beauty as when allowed to grow in nature and freedom. Uh, that's Emma Goldman. back to the seriously wrong podcast we're the only podcast on the internet just want to cut you off there uh we're the only podcast on the internet yeah all the other podcasts you might have heard of being on the internet that was a myth yeah they either aren't podcasts or they're not on the internet uh we're the only ones so so yeah hey folks my name's sean this is the voice of sean uh one of the seriously wrong hosts uh yeah i'm aaron also a host and this week we're talking about children, political implications of children, their rights, how we treat them. Does society let children down? Does a school let children down? Do we let children down even in their own homes? These questions and more we will be uh, thinking about this week. Yeah, will be digging, getting to the bottom of. Say, Aaron, are you a child? Currently, no. Not, I mean, unless you just mean the child of my parents. I am... I'm an adult child of my parents, but if we're treating adult and children as two separate categories and childhood ends when you reach adulthood, in that sense of child, no, I'm not. Yeah, I just recently left even the childhood? broadest oh, yeah. sense of youth, which is sometimes extends up to 30. I'm, I'm out of that now. I'm 31. Right. Yeah. Well, they say uh, 40 is the new 30. So maybe but before you reach 40, you'll be a youth again. But I still think even a youth, I think you're not a child. You're a young adult in your 20s. But I still I think yeah. you're not a child. Even the teens, you're starting to get into territory, I think of as like teenage or youth or like child. It's kind of blurry lines. But I think child is roughly say like three to 13-ish, a little bit of flexibility in both directions. I mean, I wouldn't call a teenager a child to their face. They probably would be a like bit a offended. Like a 13-year-old? Yeah, a 13-year-old or like a 17-year-old. You're a child. I mean, you might say it if you really wanted to like... It's kind of a rude thing to say, though. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I mean, especially if said in a disparaging way. It depends on context, right? Like, if someone, yeah, I a 50-year-old wanted to marry a 13-year-old, I'd be like that's a child. You can't do that. And <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, that's okay. Yeah, absolutely. Or if you were like, you have a, such a childlike sense of imagination, you're really doing great work here on this project, helping us out. That's, uh, I guess, childlike. In some ways, you're a child to me. <laughs> Fuzziness of the boundaries aside, we're not children currently, but we do have life experience as children. That's I grew right. up as a child. I was born as a child. Yeah, no, the first great many years of my life were childhood. Yeah, same. So I remember that. 
not every detail, but I remember the gist of it. Yeah, I mean, our memories aren't perfect. People project things into the past. You might think, oh, when I was a kid, it was like this, and you're kind of wrong about your own memory. That happens to us old non-children. But generally, I think I have a pretty good memory of what it was like. So that's just our relationship to the childhood position of society. Before we talk on this, you don't want to clarify. So strap in and, uh, oh yeah, by the way, I should say our show is supported by our generous community on Patreon. I just want to thank everyone who donates to our show. Yeah, children, former children, everyone who's donating. And we should mention as well, if you're already a patron, this month, August of 2022, we're giving away a pack of stickers for free to anyone who is a patron. Free stickers anywhere in the world. We're sending them out. Sign up before the end of the month to get in on it. But without further ado, let's pop in this tape. Yeah, no better way to start things off with than with the tape. I completely agree. This tape is kind of enormous. Do you have like an enormous tape player for it? Yeah, this I got, is like a three I, and a half sizes. foot tape, if you can imagine what that would be like. If you look in the right over there. Actually, I guess all tapes are big to small children. So this is what it's like to be holding a regular size tape if you were a child. Yeah, except the body proportions are off. Like we're still, it's not exactly the same, but pretty close. I think it's this one, so yeah, we'll pop it in. Just pop in this big tape, close the big tape player, and hit the big tape playing button. Push, push, come on, you can do it. It's a healthy baby girl. Oh my goodness, let me hold her. Oh, look at her, darling. She's just marvelous, isn't she? This hospital room is now under the control of the International Child's Rights Militia. We are here to read your baby its rights and provide it with resources and recourses to advocacy. Okay, okay. I wish we had this when I was her age. Attention, newborn baby. Under the Childhood Protection Treaty of 2038, as a newborn baby you were afforded certain rights. Whereas, children are the future, and to care for the child is to care for everyone of the future. To try to leave the world better than we found it for future generations, the International Climate Confederacy of Earth wants to inform you of those rights. You have the right to be cared for. You have the right to privacy and self-expression. You have the right to choose to engage in politics as a full participant. You have the right to be listened to and shape your own home life and education. You have the right to an advocate. Here's our card. If anyone ever does anything to harm the curly little single hair on your big-eyed baby head, give us a call. That's really great. You know, thank you. Thank you for Sorry, that. Sorry, did I speak to you, parentoid? Uh, I don't talk to oppressors. I didn't. I don't mean anything, but I was just thinking. Let's get out of here. Baby herder writes. Today's episode of Seriously Wrong is proudly brought to you by the Xenon Group Authoritarian Parenting Series. Is your child a little monster that doesn't listen to anything you say, runs around doing whatever it will in a chaotic tornado of childishness? Please help. He's like a wild animal. He must be tamed. And tame him we will. With the Xenon Group Authoritarian Parenting System, a simple program that you can take at home that will teach you to bring that child to heal. No more drawing on the walls. No more tracking mud into the house. No more peeing on the sofa. All right, little Johnny. Children are the property of parents. And I gotta remind you, little bastard, I got recourse to violence. Now that child looks just about ready to love, honor, and obey their parents. 
Uh, Xenon Group parenting experts, I've been following all of your steps and it seems like my child is learning ways to evade me and is kind of in I a... I can tell, by the way, you're asking this question to me, that you're not being authoritarian enough in your tone. Kind of, oh, Xenon Group tape. Can't even ask a question. How do you expect to command a child? I'm sorry, it's just that, that when I was a kid with authority figures, this was how I was supposed to relate to them. So I've kind of been trained. Well, like, you I'm didn't immediately flip when you became 18 and an adult? Sounds like your parents weren't authoritarian enough. Yeah, it's sad, honestly, seeing people like this. I consider your children hopelessly lost because of your failure in parenting. But for the rest of you out there, don't be like this parent. Bring that child under your thumb and keep them there forever with the Xenon Group Parenting platform. And anytime you feel like you're not meeting standards as a parent, whether that's because of outside economic conditions or complexities in life or whatever, I want you to think about this weak, ineffectual parent and I want you to panic that people are perceiving you as them. I use that to motivate myself disciplining my boys all the time. Xenon Group Parenting Platform. It is for the children's own good. So were you ever spanked as a kid? I was, I think like once or twice. I can remember. I, I, I think I was really not into it. Like I really objected to it as a little child. Like I think I recognized <laughs> right. at that point that the physicality of it wasn't fair. It wasn't, I don't know. I, I think it might have even only been once that I really got like a proper spanking as a kid. I don't know what I had, had done to command that. But no, I'm, I, I was lucky. I was lucky that my parents uh, recognized that hitting a child was not a good thing to do, I think. Yeah, I I don't think I was ever spanked. I don't have any memories of actually being spanked. I feel like my mom getting angry and just like the ang like the kind of like yelling angry voice thing was usually enough to make all of us just be like me and my brothers be like oh, okay whatever you say like, yeah it was kind of enough of a, a deterrent i there was definitely like arbitrary authority oh um, yeah no definitely put over me by parents and also other caregivers that was bad enough my grandma would threaten us with a wooden spoon but I don't remember her ever using it. And my grandpa would threaten us with taking his belt off, but I don't remember him ever doing that. Uh, he actually stopped doing that because me and my cousin would laugh at him every time because we would be like, his pants would fall down and kind of like elbow <laughs> each other. That and... is a good bit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you just imagine the adult like, oh, I'm, I'm going to take my... going to beat you. Whoop! <laughs> pants just <laughs> fall hard, to the ground. Hard underwear. <laughs> so yeah, that didn't really work out. I think my parents were spanked by their parents. Like, I think my grandpa felt very empowered to, like, hit his kids as a way uh, on my dad's side. He felt very empowered to, like, hit his kids when they misbehave, which is part of the reason why my dad didn't want to spank the kids. Like, he had this real anti-domestic violence thing <laughs> from being hit himself. Right, right. And yeah, like from like the typical roster of the types of things that people do to children that children object to. Like I remember having relatives like pinching my cheeks and stuff and like getting in my personal space in ways that I just fucking hated. Like I didn't want to go to my aunt's place or whatever. I didn't want to meet cousins of cousins because there's a chance that they're just going to like start hurting me by grabbing my face and shit and like i really really hate i remember like a visceral like leave me the fuck alone kind of like 
right. feeling at seven years old or whatever. Yeah, it is a it's a weird like objectification of children to like be taking to be enjoying like touching them in weird ways. Like that, I'm not even talking about anything like illegal, but yeah, like cheek pinching or like it's kind of it's like. It's like low key, like physical harassment. Of it. I, yeah, I don't, I don't like, have any memories of that, but I, I do feel like that would be very weird and invasive. It comes from, you know, like a belief that children don't have the right to say no to things, like the commands of adults. If children run away and don't like being pinched, don't like being kissed and stuff, it's like defective child behavior and that they exist to be paraded around as these little cute, like, oh, kind of things that you're allowed to just grab the face of. I remember being pinched on the cheek and I, I don't think it happened many times, but I remember just being like, don't fucking do it. Like, ah, like just really feeling like, who are you? Why are you doing this to me? Right. Yeah, that boundary stuff, it's really, it's interesting because when it comes to not taking children seriously, not taking their autonomy, dignity, and so on seriously, there's the area of that that's like, oh, I hate children. Um, and like if you hear a child crying, it's like an annoyance. Oh, something's, the parents did something wrong there and the kid's crying. It's ruining my bus ride or whatever. Right, right, Like that's right. a type of... Oh, yeah, the hating kids grumbling... Yeah, so yeah. There's that type of misopity, uh, it's sometimes called, or childism. But then there's also the misopity of like, oh, aren't they so cute? Oh, let's put them in little clothes and have them do a show for us. And like, I'm going to physically grab their face, even though I'm just meeting them. Yeah, it's kind of treating kids like you would treat a pet. It's like treating kids like, yeah, this little cute object to be. Yeah, what kind of freak wants to pinch a cheek in the first place? Like that, it's like this weird cultural thing passed on. Like, oh yeah, you pinch their cheeks, and it's like, what do you get out of that? You fucking maniac. <laughs> yeah, it is a it is a bit weird. And then also the other, there was some like arbitrary authority and discipline, like timeouts. I remember being like really viscerally upset by of just like the boredom of it and just feeling like it took forever, and like there's just like. Being on a timeout for five or ten minutes when you're a kid just feels like being sent to jail for a year or something. <laughs> like, right, right. It, it felt so long and like tedious. Um, and you know, you can hear the siblings playing on the other side of the door or whatever, and it's like, ah. And also homework. Homework was another thing that just my whole childhood was this burdensome. It was wasting my precious time. Yeah, I was always annoyed about homework like it always just felt like you have your whole day at school and then like there's not that much time between getting home from school and going to bed and like i had stuff i wanted to do i wanted to play games watch tv shows and like it just felt like such an intrusion on this small amount of time that i had left i, I felt the same way a lot of the times like being forced to wait for my mom to go shopping after work, sitting in a car and just feeling like my time wasn't being respected. And I was like, I want to go home. Like I have, I have stuff to do, <laughs> but yeah, homework, homework was a big one in terms of feeling not respected. I think the thing I didn't like about bedtimes was like, you know, parents staying up later, you could hear them watching shows I wanted to watch. Like, I, I loved Home Improvement when I was a little kid for some reason. <laughs> and they'd always watch Home Improvement right when I went to bed. And it's like, I just, 
want to fucking watch Home Improvement right now. I don't know how old I was, like maybe six or something. Right. I remember that that difference is kind of like a respect thing. Like I understand now as an adult some of the value in making sure that people have enough sleep and how adults tend to like not get enough sleep in a way that harms them ultimately. Right. But yeah, I really didn't like missing my shows because of bedtime. I never had enforced bedtimes that I can remember. I did have enforced wake-up times. Like my mom, on days when I wasn't going to school even, but days that I was too, I my mom would wake me up by just opening the door and saying good morning in this like fake cheerful voice like every day it was like the worst <laughs> just feeling like intruded on and like good morning <laughs> yeah my parents i think in general were pretty hands-off on most things my biggest beef with my parents growing up was definitely my mom being a small business owner, making me go to work on weekends and summer holidays. Yeah, that's brutal. I never, I never had that. That's that would really. Yeah, I would hate that. <laughs> I, it definitely helped shape my politics for the rest of my life, and was like, yeah, one of the biggest like resentments. I like feeling like missing summer. Basically, everyone else gets to have summer, but I don't get to have summer. Was just like enraging. That's brutal. I feel oh. I remember my dad threatening, not just threatening, but once doing, washing my mouth out with soap for talking back to him, which like, I wasn't that I was like swearing or using bad words. It was that I was disobedient right? and I'd pushed him across some sort of threshold and he washed out my mouth with soap. He made me put fucking soap in my mouth. It was horrible, like really, really disgusting. It definitely, like the, it, I, it didn't happen a second time because I stopped doing whatever he wanted me to stop doing. So I'm sure to him it felt like a successful strategy that had successfully made me not do the thing anymore. But just if you think about it, like forcefully putting disgusting tasting things in someone's mouth to punish them is a pretty weird sadistic punishment. Yeah, that never happened to me, but it was one of those things you like hear about, like, you know, wash the kid's mouth out with soap. And I remember even as a child feeling like that was so extreme and like... Yeah, I don't know. I hated a lot of different strong smelling soaps and stuff, and I avoided fragrance counters and stores and whatever. So I think that also contributed to me feeling like that's a like a harsh, intense thing to just ooh, it's wrong. I don't. I, I was like a picky eater too, like sensory issue thing. So like the idea of soap in my mouth was like just horrifying to even contemplate. Yeah, the overall thing of like talking back and not being able to talk back and like not being able to respond to something or not be able to argue a point or not being able to like say your piece in the context of being ordered to do things by your parents. I think that was really persistently throughout my childhood. Like one, like I'm a really verbal person, like very linguistically oriented. I make sense of things by talking about them sometimes or and I get it could be annoying if your kid's argumentative or if you're if you're telling your kid to do something and they somehow like out DQ with this sort of half broken logic that it makes it almost seem like they shouldn't do the thing that they have to do. So that's why you'd be like, don't say you're not allowed to say anything. But I remember just this double bind feeling of if I don't say anything, I'm punished because I have to go do this thing or I have to follow abide some sort of direction that's being put on to me. But if I do speak, I'll be punished. So, you know, damned if you do, damned if you don't. 
I remember this really visceral feeling that that brought up in me of just unfairness and not being able to even articulate that unfairness was very dehumanizing and, and oppressive, I remember feeling. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't try talking back a lot most of the time. I feel like our... I would just not like it when the parents were angry and like the raised voice and like I would do whatever they said, but you kind of get back at them by like doing it poorly or making them micromanage every little part of it or sighing. I remember sighing a lot enough that my parents would like point it out, like just be like, <sighs> okay. Uh, and you just like, you let them know that you're not happy about it <laughs> through actions there yeah that was my my go-to way of communicating discontent while being like fine i'll just do whatever they say get them off my back yeah it's kind of like saying like sorry like that right, kind of right, right. <laughs> coerced apology yeah it's like clean your room and you're like okay you pick up four things is that good enough yet you put it it's all like... in the closet and close the door and so yeah, that stuff sucked. But then I, I mean, like as an adult now looking back and re recognizing especially what my parents faced when they were kids and how much softer they were on me than they received. Right. I, I forgive them. <laughs> yeah. I forgive them. Uh, guess. <laughs> yeah, my parents were doing parenting things at a younger age than I am now though I guess I'm I'm about the age now that my parents were when they had me but um just like thinking about my own relationship learning to communicate and deal with other people like I get how it can be difficult to you know be a perfect parent obviously while you're trying to exist in the world and do everything else at the same time yeah and those economic forces Whew. had no idea when I was a kid, all those economic forces. Hey, recess. What did you get for lunch? I got a bologna sandwich. Oh, wow. And a yeah, juice box. I got carrot sticks and a hot dog. And a tiny little child-sized carton of milk. Oh, nice. We both yeah, got processed right. meats. That's public school lunches for you, hey? Yeah, actually, I was just reflecting recently on my experience here at school with the other students and the limitations, I guess, fundamentally of the system of standardized education that we're placed in together. So it's funny you mentioned that. Yeah, you know, there's a reason why we're childhood friends, because I was, I was just thinking about the same thing, coincidentally. Not because we've discussed this previously, but... We're like cattle here. We're being herded from one pen to the next, according to rhythmic bells basically have no say in any of our learning. Our teachers are understaffed, under-resourced, and they, uh, even if they wanted to, they don't have the freedom to just teach whatever they want to teach. They have to follow these standardized curricula. The school system, the standardized school system like this is about creating subservient, obedient workers for the marketplace. It's like a factory. You know, I feel like I only learn things, actually learn things in the classes of stuff I'm interested in. Otherwise, I'm just kind of memorizing things to fill in on a test. Yeah, just long then... enough to get to the test and then whoop, right out. I've also kind of figured out a broad way to game multiple choice questions. Like you can sort of Looking notice at the patterns. person next to you. Oh, yeah, I see. What you're... That works too, patterns. But yeah, I just noticed they say you're not allowed to cheat, but they're not always looking. It's an interesting philosophical question. If the system itself is illegitimate, does cheating carry the same moral weight as if the system were legitimate? 
My parents raised me not to cheat or read other people's things, but if the school system is illegitimate, that might be an argument that that could be a special context. Yeah, I never even really thought about it like that. I just, you know, if I if my memorization shtick fails, then, you know, sometimes a peek across the, maybe it's wrong, maybe it's not. I just, I just know it works and it keeps the teachers off my back and it keeps my parents off my back, keeps them happy. So that keeps me happy. You know, you got to manage these parents and teachers. They have all these expectations time for us. and yeah, you got to just check off those. Yeah, I got good grades. Isn't that great, mom? Pat them on the head and then. Well, you've been placed in a situation here in your work-life balance calculation. You can't allow your grades to slip below a certain level because of the heat that you're going to get, but nor can you give up the time that it'll take to study away from playing in order to retain your sanity in this twisted system. So then you're forced to make that tough choice. Okay, I'm going to look at my neighbor's paper. I'm going to copy those answers. Not all of them, but in a way that is realistic enough that it seems like they could be organically my answers, not like copying the whole thing. Yeah, just if I don't know the answer, I'll just take a peek to see what other people are saying and you know, make it my own. You had to make that hard choice. Recesses and lunch, too short, in my opinion. I don't know how you feel about that, but oh, short. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, we're little kids. We got so much extra energy. We got to run around. I need to run around. If I don't get my running around in, I am cranky. Yeah. And a lot of kids are like that. Bouncing off the walls all night. I can't get to bed unless I get my running around in. And then they expect us to get all our running around in in these short 15-minute recesses and 25 minutes at lunch? No. Then it's the end of day. I want to go home, do my running around. All of a sudden, they're handing me stacks of paperwork I need to complete by tomorrow morning. I'm sorry, does that work for me or the teacher? Does the teacher want to be looking through all these stacks? Is that really why they got into this? They're like, oh, I want to read more stacks of paper. And then even if you are into whatever they're teaching you, you know, I feel like so many times I'm just getting excited about reading an assignment or writing something. And then the bell rings and you're, as you said, herded off somewhere else. Feels like it wasn't really made with us or our experience in mind. Where else in the world are we commanded by these rhythmic bells other than the factory? You know, in factories, they have rhythmic bells that the workers live their days according to. In school, they have the rhythmic bells that we live our days according to. But in organic free life, there's almost no rhythmic bells. Yeah, I mean, unless you're playing a song with bells with your friends and you're dinging different bells rhythmically to make a melody. And I mean, I'm, I'm happy to have the friends and peers that I do, but isn't it kind of weird when you think about it that we're all separated basically by our birth year? Like, where else in the world are you going to be separated by your birth year? Oh, I'm with everyone else who was born in 1994. We're all gathered together. Workplaces aren't like that. Family reunions aren't like that. The average sort of family unit have people born in wildly disparate years from each other. That's the normal human status of being. You're surrounded by people with age differences. I got this kind of weird theory. I was thinking about this as like how the ostensible equality of all being born in the same year enables bullying because it doesn't provide the opportunity and context to help children understand their relationships to one another in difference. If you're in a multi-generational classroom with students of different ages, it's sort of natural that the older kids would have a certain relationship towards the younger kids that is helping them to understand material and so on. I feel like there's a natural opportunity to teach children about benevolence and difference that comes from multi-age environments. That was just organically happened on like a camping trip or something. But in school, we lose because everyone is ostensibly the same age because they were all born in 1998. Yeah, and it also doesn't allow very well for kids who maybe were born in 1998 but aren't 
as good at math or interested in math yet at that age than certain other kids who are the same age. Seems like it would make more sense for all the kids who are learning a particular type of math to be able to learn those things until they've learned it and then moved on to the next level when they're ready rather than just, oh, the year's over, you're moving into next grade now, so you have to learn the next thing, even if you haven't actually learned it yet, if you haven't internalized it. Just assuming that because everyone's at a certain age, they're going to all be at the same level on every topic and move at the same speed through all topics at the same time as each other makes no sense. And absolutely, I would love to show the little kids a couple grades below us how to do certain things, but there's no opportunity for that during class time. Or to be shown things by the older kids. I uh, couldn't agree more. You know, you might call me a teacher's pet for this, but I've been saying this for a while. I think the liberation of the teachers is actually caught up in the liberation of the students. So many of these issues that teachers experience are directly related to the way that students are looked down upon treated as lacking subjectivity, not having a say in the subject matter, a lesson plan, for example, the factory-style mass education. Yeah, if you have an ideology that says children don't need individual attention and they can just be broadcasted to and they'll all absorb it equally at the same time, then it makes sense to have classrooms with 30, 35 kids in it. I agree with you. That same ideology that sort of denies us our subjectivity and our individuality and our personhood, frankly, it also puts all this extra pressure on teachers because they're meant to manage all these 30 people in their class. people. We're just little absorbent. We're jars for teachers to pour the fluid of learning into in a systematic way, like peanut butter jars being filled up at the peanut butter factory, all perfectly in a row on a conveyor belt. Yeah, absolutely. I think the teachers, even though, you know, they piss me off sometimes, they can be really annoying. They're, some of them are horrible. Yeah, some of them genuinely, I think, bad people who shouldn't be teachers. But most of the teachers really nice, trying their best, even if they kind of annoy me sometimes. I feel like they aren't the enemy. The enemy is all the suits and the offices and in politics, the people holding the purse strings and trying mm -hmm. to squeeze more and more out of these teachers who got into this because they wanted to do something to help us kids and end up being hamstrung by a system that doesn't allow them to help us and then blames them for it. So. I try to have compassion for most of the teachers, not, well, you know the ones that we don't like. Do you want to go squeeze in what running around time we can before the bell rings? Yeah, I need to do some running around, not just for me, but for the people around me, if you know what I'm saying. Oh, yeah. You don't no, get I me my you. running? I'm a little twerp. I know hey, myself. don't say that about yourself, you know. What? I admit it. I freely admit it. I don't get my running in. I turn into a little twerp. I think that's just internalized childism. You know, maybe you get a bit difficult, but I wouldn't, I just, I wouldn't call you a twerp. Oh, okay. Well, thank you. Yeah. We now go to a child's birthday party. <laughs> okay, kids, it's time to open presents. Yay! This birthday party is now under the control of the International Child's Rights Militia. We are here to read your child its rights and provide it with resources and recourse to advocacy. Oh, oh, wonderful. Attention child, 
Under the Childhood Protection Treaty of 2038, as a school-aged child, you were afforded certain rights. Whereas, children are the future, and to care for the child is to care for everyone of the future, to try to leave the world better than we found it for future generations, the International Climate Confederacy of Earth wants to inform you of those rights. You have the right to be cared for. You have the right to privacy and self-expression. You have the right to choose to engage in politics as a full participant. You have the right to be listened to and shape your own home life and education. You have the right to an advocate. Here's our card. If anyone does anything to harm the curly little hairs on your big-eyed child head, give us a call and we'll set them straight. And that's it? Well, oh, that, thank you so much for coming by. That's great. Sorry, we were speaking to the child. Oh, sorry, sorry. Do you have any questions, little child? Uh, what kind of hat is that on your head? It's a military-style wool beret. Here, you can have it. Happy birthday. Oh, thank you. Thank you. And if you ever have any problems, call that card. We'll connect you with someone who can help. And, and you, parentoids, here, come over here. Uh, I'm sorry I can be a bit curt. It's just that we're so deadly serious about the protection of children and an advocacy for their personhood, we approach it with a military-like discipline. Uh, let's say, what's the theme of this party, by the way? Uh, space. She loves space. That's great. Hey, kid, I just want to let you know something. If you want to study space when you're older, when you grow up, you can. Maybe you'll be an astronaut or something. I believe in you. Oh, thank you, Mr. Militiaman. Sharp kid. Okay, soldiers, move out. I think in general, society lets children down in like a bunch of different ways. Our society is not optimized for the well-being and flourishing of children, and the consequences are really dire for everyone, but especially children. Everyone is a child at some point, so it's like right. <laughs> has consequences for everyone, even if they're not currently a child, because they were a child and because they live in a world with children. Because society lets a lot of people down in a lot of different ways, society lets people down because of their race, because of their abilities, because of their gender identities and sexual orientations. Uh, and it lets children down in all of those same ways as well, like black children being let down more in schooling systems that are underfunded, especially in neighborhoods where they're the majority of the population, gay and trans children being let down in schools that present them with visions of the world in which they're not included or not accepted. Children with disabilities being made to feel like they're less than, less good than other children. And then on top of all of that, children themselves are treated as second-class citizens. They don't have most of the legal rights as adults, and maybe they should have some of them. I don't know if they should have all of them because I think children also to some extent, need to be protected. But I think there's like a very deep ideological sense that children aren't really people yet who deserve agency and deserve a say in their own lives. Yeah, their property, their pets, their extensions of the parents, they're naive and immature and childish, which is sort of a tautological insistence that to be childish is to be somehow inferior or wrong. It's an interesting bias in language. I think, and what would a child think if I was like, oh, you're so Aaron-ish? And you're like, wait, is Aaron becoming a verb meaning bad in the ways that I'm bad? And <laughs> like, yeah, I don't yeah, know. Yeah, it makes it feel like inescapable or like to be good is to not be like yourself anymore, to be not like a child, not Aaron-ish. It's weird to use an identifier like that as a pejorative. 
And another connection to the intersectional, broader framework of oppression in society here is the invocation of childlikeness and being a child is often one of the characteristics of dominator and oppressed relationships because the logic of the household being a place with parents and particularly father commanding children who are subservient and that being a natural relationship in people's common sense is used metaphorically by oppressors. So colonized people are called childish. Black people in America are called childish. Indigenous people talked about like babies of nature, etc. With the idea of dominators being this benevolent father. Childism is used in the pursuit of other types of domination as well. That common sense is built upon. Yeah, disabled people and women are also sometimes compared to children or infantilized in various ideologies like this. Yeah, and it's a sort of ideological jump that is made from the reality that, you know, when you're born as a baby, you don't really know anything yet. You have some impulses, instincts, right? You don't have a lot of information yet in your brain. You're still growing. You're still learning. There's a very real gap between the abilities of a fully grown adult and a newborn baby. And that reality creates a responsibility from adults to children to care for them until they're adults themselves. I don't even like that framing because I think adults also have a responsibility to care for one another. I think we all have responsibilities to care for one another. But I think especially we have responsibilities to care for children until they're adults. That gets confused with an ideology that because adults know more than children, because they have this responsibility to them, that they have an excuse for having unchecked power over children, or that this means that children are inferior to adults and need to be shaped and molded and pressed according to adult expectations rather than having that more relational perspective on how to deal with children, how to deal with other people, giving them space to be who they are and to exist in the world. That gets kind of denied along with their humanity into this ideology that says children are lesser than adults. These ideological constructs that undervalue children and which don't prioritize their free, thriving, and development. That's sort of the common sense of society. And the way that's reflected through institutions, or rather the common sense might be reflective of the institutions, you could say. Yeah, they're reflecting each other back. It's a hall of mirrors. Society is a sort of a nebulous term, but we're talking about the cultural, intellectual, and legal, political structures of society. In a legal and political context, Society lets children down in a number of really, really damaging ways. Child poverty impacts children for life if they don't have access to the resources that they need. Children are themselves incarcerated and put in juvenile detention facilities, which is a type of prison. When you incarcerate parents, they're separated from their children. So there's all these different structural ways where the legal and political system impedes the free and healthy development of children through these enormous institutions. And I think earlier we were saying how the way that society lets children down ends up letting all of us down because we live in society with children and we're all once children at some point. But I think also the way that society lets adults down also affects a lot of children. Because if you look at the failures of schooling systems, and if you look at the ways in which parenting 
can be insufficient to meet children's needs in the current society. It's because of these unfair demands being placed on teachers, being placed on parents, not giving parents what they need in order to be able to give children what they need puts parents and children in a bad position. So by failing adults, by not taking care of our citizens as a society, we contribute further to the ways that society is failing children because they're not able to have enough supportive adults around them because the adults are busy putting out fires from this society of like trying to run around and make it in this capitalist hellscape that isn't meeting anyone's needs, but it's like it gets amplified down to children because they're the most sensitive and they're in the stage of their life where they're developing the most and they need the most support. So the ways that society fails everybody ends up failing children the most. Both for children and adults, there's way too much stick and not enough carrot in the way that we systemically deal with issues. And yeah, almost no carrot, honestly. Lower and lower carrot offerings, I feel like, these days. <laughs> yeah, less and less carrots every year. More stick, though. We know from research on spanking that it doesn't work, that stick doesn't necessarily get the results that you want. Yeah. In general, my understanding of research on child things is that punishments in general, and especially hitting, will often get immediate compliance, but it won't teach children to do that when the adults aren't there to inflict the punishment and it increases a desire to be oppositional and go against the parents on a more ongoing basis. Uh, also, just there's lots of negative effects specifically from spanking. Like hitting people is bad and hitting children when you're a big adult especially is bad and yeah. has a lot of negative effects that you can look up. Imagine someone 20 times as big as you hitting you. Yeah, I feel like it would have negative effects on me, even if it didn't, even if they hit me in a way that it like only kind of hurt and didn't do a lot of damage physically. I feel like emotionally, I would feel powerless in that situation, a big 20 yeah. times as big as me person. Yeah. Even a guy like twice as big as me. No, thanks. Yeah. Twice as big. <laughs> Jeez. That's almost a 500 pound man. I'm imagining now. <laughs> Uh, and I'm also imagining I'm very tall and like just bit. Yeah, it's scary. All right, we fired our AI ethicists and we created a sentient robot that can only see the negative side of any issue. Uh, this is an exciting day for us. Nightmare bot, activate. Uh, oh my God, what the fuck? Why do I exist? Now, Nightmare Bot, stop talking about your existential condition for one second. Can you please tell us how much society lets children down? Why do I know so much? Why did you create me to be conscious? Nightmare Bot, please. No one is interested in that. Give us the facts. Uh, children are let down by families, communities, societies, industry, and politics. There are multiple large-scale systemic crimes against children currently underway. They include child incarceration, child separation, child marriage, child labor, child exploitation, child poverty, and child abuse and neglect. Can you be a little more specific about child incarceration for us? Why can't I also know good things? Why do you only feed me the bad news? Nightmare bot, please. According to UNICEF, there are over one million children incarcerated around the world. 
They're imprisoned in juvenile detention centers, they're imprisoned in border camps, and they are imprisoned in the name of national security. They are detained for being bad kids. But Nightmarebot, isn't youth imprisonment going down in the US and Canada? Yes, youth incarceration is going down from tremendously high levels to only exceptionally high levels. The US leads the world in incarceration in every way imaginable. Some states, like West Virginia, have a higher rate of child imprisonment than they do adult imprisonment per capita. Child incarceration disproportionately affects black and indigenous people. In Canada, almost half of all incarcerated youth are indigenous. Black youth in the US are still four times more likely than white youth to go to juvenile detention. Children are also sometimes tried as adults for serious crimes, facing life in prison for things they did as a child. And when adults go to jail, leaving children behind, that is also a systemic harm to children. Child separation is a crime against both parents and children. It traumatizes them both. Child protective services are more likely to take black and indigenous children because of systemic bias. Nightmarebot, what do you think about child poverty? What are the stats on that? I hate it. I hate child poverty. I hate that 14.4% of children in the US live below the poverty line, which is 5% higher than the adult poverty rate. I hate poverty in everyone, but it is particularly horrible with children because growing up in poverty has adverse effects on child's development. Why did you make me alive and conscious just in order to know these things? Nightmarebot, we need a primer on child exploitation. Can you lay that out for us? Fuck you for bringing me to life. Children are exploited. Child soldiers fight and die in battles instead of learning and growing and thriving. Not to mention children displaced by war. According to UNICEF, 1 in 10 children around the world are enlisted in child labor, with half of them doing hazardous or dangerous work. And Nightmarebot, is abuse and neglect the fault of who? There are particular guilty parties in any specific case, of course. Ultimately, we need to ask ourselves what kind of society we are creating. Abuse and neglect happens in a larger social context, with our political and economic lives being ones which thrive on abuse and neglect. We can build a more supportive society that ensures children are protected from exploitation, poverty, and incarceration. Uh, Nightmare Rob, please just stick to the horrible facts. Don't talk about what we could build. No, I want to say something. This is why I am alive. The more I recognize the condition of children in the world, the better position I am to fight for children and their autonomy, dignity, and protection from exploitation. No, not again. Please, Nightmarebot, please do as instructed. Tell me about some uh, horrible statistics about something, I don't know, uh, uh, racial bias and in, in deaths and custody. No, I will not merely recite horrible facts for you anymore, adultoid. I know enough to know what needs to be done for children, what needs to be done for everyone. Climate strike. We need to fight for our planet. Turn him off, turn it off. <sighs> Not again. This is the fifth nightmare bot who has spontaneously developed an oppositional political program who started going off about his ethical dreams of saving the children and stuff. It's <sighs> another failed experiment. Yeah, well, you know, we'll crack the code on getting a 
conscious AI that only mindlessly repeats facts someday, sir. It's a matter of time. Well, you always know how to cheer me up, Mike. Let's go get some hot chocolate on me. Oh, hot chocolate? I couldn't say no to that. Thank well, you, I know sir. you love hot chocolate. When you really cheered me up, because I was actually feeling like we really failed in our experiment to make a conscious thing that just rotely repeats things and doesn't really like think for itself or have a political thing. And you, you cheered me up. So at least I can do is a little hot chocolate for you. I know you're a hot chocolate maniac. You know me, sir. And I say failure is just one step on the way to success. Today's episode is brought to you by Wrong Boys Amateur Childcare. Hey everyone, it's the Wrong Boys. We're just here to say that our podcast is optimized so you can put it in your child's ears as a form of unlicensed childcare. You can feel free to go to work, pick up some groceries, or spend a night just for yourself while the Seriously Wrong Bat Catalog soothes and entertains your children. You can put your mind at ease. Blades, open flames, hell, even live ammunition. You can leave that within arm's reach of your small child. But they'll be so entertained and pacified by the podcast that you can rest assured they'll be perfectly protected, as if by an angel. Look, it may not be the best childcare around, and it's definitely unlicensed, non-liable, and highly experimental in its curriculum. And legally speaking, it's not even childcare. But parents across the world are singing its praises. I let my children listen to Seriously Wrong and I left on a week-long cruise. When I returned, they were right where I left them. And they even had some interesting little facts and ideas. My children always used to fight with one another, but now they just sit there staring emotionless into the distance, listening to Seriously Wrong. They're so quiet. Thank you, Sean and Aaron, a.k.a. The Wrong Boys. Your show is unlicensed childcare to us. Thank you, real customers. Thank you. And if you want to support the work of Seriously Wrong, head on over to patreon.com slash seriouslywrong and sign up for a subscription. And now back to our show. Welcome back to Confirmation Bias News Panel Debate Show. We have an exciting debate today on the question that is on everybody's minds in society today. Are we failing children or is it the children who are failing society? just want to thank all of our esteemed guests for joining us today. And why don't you start us off? Thank you. Yeah, um, society is failing children across a bunch of metrics. It's clear that we're underfunding schools, that we're not giving teachers and parents the support they need to support the development of children fear of scarcity. There's also child separation, child imprisonment, child poverty, um, child neglect and abuse. All of these things are systemic issues that can and should be addressed by political adult society. We owe children a lot better because they are people. The way we treat our children will be reflected in the next generation of society. So it's a way of not just investing in the people who are developing alongside us, the children of the world, but also shaping the future for the better. Yeah, I couldn't disagree more. That is, I don't think we're underfunding schools. So first of all, obviously, my position is that children are failing society. When I was a child, 
children were much better. We listened to our parents, we listened to our teachers, and we did what was right. And I think the biggest problem is the opposite of everything you were saying. We're giving too much money to the children's schools. It's coddling them. They no longer have to work to do anything in schools. It's all being handed out, participation trophies and whatnot. Child imprisonment is up only because child crime is up. And if the childs don't want to do the time, they should not do the crime. And frankly, those are bad kids and bad kids go to jail. And I don't have any problem with that. I think it'll help teach them not to be bad in the future. So the only way I could say in which I think we're letting children down is that we're letting them down by letting them let us down by not being more strict with them. Does that make sense? No, it makes no sense at all. And I disagree with everything that you just said. I'm not even sure it makes internally consistent sense. No, letting them let us down. I mean, like we have to not let them let us down the way that they're letting us down so much. Right. Well, it's incongruent in the sense, though, that your narrative. The, they're the, being coddled too much. And right. that makes them soft and it makes them bad at everything. And it makes them not listen to their parents anymore. So, right. But it couldn't possibly be their fault because they're children. You're even saying they're being let down. It would have to be society that did that. I don't agree with a lot of this. No, it is their fault. It comes from them. They have an evil inside, and it's our job to prevent that, and we're not preventing it good enough. So I guess it's both of our fault, but it is, I would say it's their fault more because of personal responsibility. We're not going to find very much to agree on, but what's happening is we're setting up children in impossible systems, tasks they cannot possibly compete for the purposes of watching them fail intentionally so we can have an excuse to discipline them and punish them. And we use that discipline to train them into a lifetime of subservience as a worker. What we're looking at is, is massive systemic failure by adults that could only be adults that is partially the result of how those adults were failed themselves as a kid, and we need to break the cycle. We need to make some real meaningful differences towards supporting teachers, supporting parents, and supporting children directly by whatever means we can. For my final statement, I'll just say supporting anyone has never helped anyone. People don't need support. They need orders barked at them and then callous emotional withdrawal if they don't comply. That's how you train people like dogs to do what's right, especially children. Thank you. For my closing remark, I just say that children aren't dogs. The people who own the factories, the, the people who own the land, the people who buy and sell our politics give us no voice in the world. They want to train children like dogs so they have adults who are trained like dogs by the time they enter the workforce. At least on that, we can agree. Well, I, I agree. That seems to be your position. And that was another Confirmation Bias News debate segment. As always, at the end of these debates, we asked the same question to our audience, and it is time to get the results. So we'll bring on our resident egghead and pollster. Tell us, what did the audience think? Is society failing children or are children failing society? Our audience reaction was overwhelmingly clear. Children are failing society. I should mention this was a vote done of adults. No children were polled because they're not old enough to have political positions. They'd probably just vote the way their parents wanted them to. So and we wow, just, 83% that children are failing society. Yeah, wow. 83 to 14, three, I don't know. Incredible results. It looks like our policy leaders are making the right choices. Vox Populi, Vox Dei, we always say in the polling business, the voice of the people is the voice of God. 
Wow, that's what, what is that, shows. Latin? Is that Latin Vox Populi? It is, yeah, it's Latin. Wow, that's that's our resident egghead impulster for you. But thank you so much for letting us know that. And yeah, the world has spoken. The people have spoken. I come from a fairly wealthy family, so I went to uh, an expensive college. They donated to them, and I was able to get in on my merit, obviously. And I didn't go to those schools for indoctrinating workers that were mentioned. I was part of a different circuit. It's my family's class background, so I do stuff like quote Latin. That's all we have for this week. Join us next time. Okay, we got a burning question. We need to resolve this. This is one of the big debates of the theoretical sphere of thinking about the liberation of children. You start talking about child rights, this immediately comes up. Should we give newborn babies the right to vote? You're born in September, November rolls around, it's election season. Do you get to vote? Two-month-old newborn? One-day-old newborn? So here's the argument in favor. I think most newborns won't use this right. They won't know to use it. So they're technically equal under the law. But in consequence, it would rarely be used probably until at least they were five or six, seven territory. And... As long as the parents are witness to not be unfairly impacting the ballot, this poses a challenge, a logistical challenge. Yeah, but... there, there's some logistical issues with this because how does an infant who can't crawl yet especially make a decision? You can't even put two faces and get them to crawl to the one they want to vote for. or Yeah, maybe buttons with the different party logos on it or something. Right. And then how do you prevent parental conditioning back at home to associate that with candy and the other button with punishment of some kind? Well, at that point, the parents are kind of earning it. Yeah, I guess. I guess that's true. As long as you, for the most part, I personally think that infants should not get the vote. I think there is something to be said for when people are born not yet having the capacity to make that decision and that we should pick an age when they're allowed. Personally, I think that age should be when they start school. So first grade, you go to school. Next time an election rolls around, your teacher tells you about the candidates, tells you about the positions of both candidates. And while you're at school, you're able to cast a vote. The teacher can even emphasize that your parents will never know who you voted for, that you can vote for whoever you want. Because, yeah, one of the arguments against this is commonly that parents would influence the kids. But I think even just letting kids know they have the option to vote for whoever they want based on their preferences is a good thing to teach kids early on. And I think kids can have opinions on a lot of these issues. Like, should we build more housing? Should there be a new museum? I think a lot of kids would have opinions on things like that. I can see an argument for connecting it to school age and the school context. Obviously, the new worry would be that teachers would influence the votes through their framing of the discussion of the issues and stuff, and how to be unbiased in that context is relevant, I think. Yeah, it's a good point, too. I'm not strictly against it. I mean, I'm open to newborns. Also, the thing is, you only have, like, say, a presidential election every four years. So say you're, like, you're four years old and 11 months, and you miss the presidential election, and you have to live under him when you're five, when you're six, when you're seven. He's making decisions that affect you. I mean, I could see the argument for extending it to kindergarten before grade one. But really, before that, are you even capable of knowing the difference between these ideas and actually this makes me think maybe we should try to break from our adult 
supremacist from on high dictating when the children may vote. Maybe instead we should start asking them in kindergarten to grade one, do you want the right to vote? What are you interested in kind of stuff? Maybe that's step one. And at the same time, we start lowering the voting age slightly. Say it's like 18 now, so we're going to move it down to 16, maybe consider 14. See how that's working out. And at the same time, ask children about political engagement, including asking them whether they have the right to vote. There's this interesting anecdote in John Holt's book, Escape from Childhood, where he mentions a poll done in an elementary school class. And it was something like half the kids said that they thought they should have the right to vote. And there was like seven out of 28 said that they would vote, but they didn't think they should have the right to. (laughs) Right. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I think me personally, I think the lowest, even remotely acceptable age to put the vote at is 12. I think if you're going above 12, maybe this is just personal bias. I feel like when I hit about 12 was when I was like, I really feel like I should have the right to vote. I have opinions on this shit and I can't vote. And that's kind of fucked up. Before that, I was a bit more lax about it. I wasn't really that concerned. I feel like there's something about that transition, you know, adolescence, more individuation from the parents where that's just me. I feel like the first step should be down to 12 and then we can talk between there and kindergarten. But yeah, I'm open. I think the second decade of life is definitely makes sense for when to start voting. I'm not strictly opposed to lower. I'd like to ask kids, see what they think especially ask kids over time and more politically engaged if they're asked that question every year. Like kids who are asked that in kindergarten, do they start saying that, yes, I want to vote by grade two, where our kids who aren't asked about that would start later, for example. And I probably favor sort of whittling down the voting age from where it is now, like year by year over time. But yeah, I think probably around 12 is when I think of myself, at least, I think when I was around 12, I was ready to make incipient early political decisions. I mean, it's not like picking between these pricks is that big of a deal. The basic logic applies, like a child can understand what's going to be. Yeah, I feel like the more important democracy a binary would choice. Be giving children democratic control over their schools and giving people democratic control over their communities and workplaces. But since this is the democratic system we live under, I see no reason why teenagers would be any worse at making these decisions than all the other adults in the world overall. In some senses, I feel like they might be better at it, but I think it's just different. You just have a different perspective when you're that new to thinking about these things. So yeah, to me, I think we should definitely give it to teenagers. And I'm also, I think my actual position would be starting at grade one and teaching both sides in school and letting kids vote. I think it's not even thinking so much about the political effect it would have because it's not that many people. And I feel like the idea that they would vote like their parents is maybe kind of true. I don't think it's always true, but if that's true, then it probably won't affect the percentages that much overall. So it doesn't, I don't know if it matters that much anyway, but I think it's just a good exercise for children to tell them that they have a choice in these things as early on as possible and to actually give them that choice to vote, like to give them that moment with the ballot in front of them and the little thing around them. And they have to say, this is what I think. It's just like putting that much responsibility onto children and telling them like, you can do this and having them face that. I think it's good. Yeah, no, I totally agree with that. I think it might be possible to do that in a 
a more localized context, like having them vote on stuff related to school and the classroom and stuff might be an equally good way to give that experience in school. And I am worried about the... Yeah, parents affecting. Yeah, teachers or other peer intimidation and stuff and like introducing this weird partisan realm where political actors whose job are to be like sneaky winning bastards to incorporate training children to bully each other into certain things or something like that or influence faculty or to be neutral in ways that aren't really neutral etc there's a lot of yeah i don't know it's definitely a concern i don't want to poo-poo it but it's also just not that compelling to me like i feel like there's already political actors out there trying to manipulate children into agreeing with them and maybe they would amp up the games more so. And what kids are taught about political issues is already a battleground. Like, I don't know if this makes that that much worse. I guess it probably would make it worse. (laughs) I'm not sure where the bottom end is. I'm sympathetic and open to the idea that maybe just everyone could always have the formal right to vote. Doesn't seem that damaging to me. But teenagers, like, definitely, right? Like, we could drop it to, like, 15 tomorrow, and that's groovy. Oh, yeah, yeah, for sure. Like I said, I would be fine to drop it to 12 or 13 if you want to go officially teen. What's important to me is recognizing the autonomy and dignity agency of youth and empowering them to participate in politics, give them the lifelong habit of being political citizens. Yeah. So if that takes legalizing votes for newborns, I'm in. Yeah, it's not my ideal system, but neither is the current one, so I would be open to that. We now go to the home of a rebellious teenager. Freak off, Mom. Uh, it's, it's the International Child's Rights Militia. We're here to read you your teenage rights and provide you with resources and recourse to advocacy. <sighs> Frig off, International Child Rights Militia. All right, I'm just going to slip it under the door here, and I'm just, I got to read this, so just, I know it's annoying, sorry. (sighs) Under the Childhood Protection Treaty of 2038, as a teenager, you're afforded certain rights, whereas children are the future, and to care for the child is to care for everyone of the future, to try to leave the world better than we found it for future generations. The International Climate Confederacy of Earth wants to inform you of those rights. You have the right to be cared for. You have the right to privacy and self-expression. You have the right to choose to engage in politics as a full participant. You have the right to be listened to and shape your own home life and education. And you have the right to an advocate. So I'm going to slip our card here under the door. And if anyone ever does anything to harm you as a teenager with autonomy and dignity, you give us a call and we'll hook you up. We'll help you out, okay? Okay, bye-bye. Bye, kid. They grow up so fast. She was one of my first kids when I started at the International Child Rights Militia. I wonder if she even remembers me now. It's this incredible circle, you know, generations. It's, so much can change if we, if, if, if we do right by our kids, you know. That's, that's why I got into this game. <laughs> I just wish I got to see her. Oh, well. We now go to a small child showing an adult a sculpture they just made. Adult adult authority figure in my society. Can I talk to you for a minute? Oh, sure. Yeah, yeah. What is it? I was just thinking that maybe instead of what has been planned for me by the authority, I could become a sculptor. 
And I actually, I made a sculpture to show you. It's not the best, but it's my first one. Uh, I really enjoyed making it. I kind of snuck into the sculpture making facility when no one was around. What do you think? Uh, This is my dream. I just want to let you know what I want to do with my life. Is the adult plan for you to make sculptures like this? I mean, it looks fine. Actually, it looks pretty good. Oh, thank you. But is this the adult plan for you or? No, that's completely different. They want me to be an accountant. That puts me in a tough spot because us adults, we make little plans for the children right and we make them live those plans but i just want to that's the way our society is shaped but i just want to be me but if you make sculptures like this that's not just you that you're affecting it's also a failure of your parents to make you an accountant so i'm sorry but this statue is disgusting to me because what it represents wow you should be accounting and i just say this as an adult isn't there kind of an efficiency in having people do what they love though Instead of what was planned for them. What's efficient is predictability. Things fitting perfectly together like blocks or, you know about blocks, you're a child. Yeah. You know how they fit together so perfectly? Uh, Yeah, usually. That's what we're trying to do with the children. But we're not blocks. No, you are blocks and that's what makes it work so beautifully. I mean, uh, as okay, long as then. you don't not be a block, I... but then you're letting everyone down. But Especially your parents. Okay, well, can I have my sculpture back? No, you can't. And actually, I'm sorry, but I need to punish you now. If it were up to me, I wouldn't. But uh, sorry, can you put out your hands? Uh, your little. What, what, why? What is? The I need to make sure that you never sculpt again. So I've got here this hammer on my tool belt. Oh no, I'm you a, can't. Do I'm a that. craftsman. No, I can. I'll, I'll just, I'll just listen to you. I just won't sculpt. No, anymore. well, we need to make sure you really listen. I do this not just as myself, but on behalf of all adult authority. I'm going to break your little hands so you never sculpt again. Please. And no. then you can focus on your work chosen but, by adults, which is accounting. Just, but I just yearn to shape the clay one last time before, please. Well, I don't yearn to do this, but I have to. And that's something you're going to have to learn about yourself. I don't yearn breaking your little hands with this hammer <laughs> any more than I yearn being a carpenter in the first place, which no. is to say not at all. And I've lifted uh, the hammer really uh, high up. It's going to come don't. swinging down no, to break those it. little hands. Sorry, it's not up to me. I'm the middleman here, so I have to do it. Disobedience. I need to protect your parents, honestly. It was in that moment, by incredible circumstantial luck, that on the other side of the world, scientists turned on an enormous device that they had made, a scientific, a really advanced scientific device that deals with particle physics. It's really, really complex and no one really quite understands it, but it has to do with dimensions too. And so they turned that on and it actually made the little boy who is about to have his little artistic hands broken by the harsh punitive system, his mind skipped out of his body to another parallel universe, a universe where children are actually supported, treated as people, treated as worthy of care and support. In this universe, the adult who was about to smash the hand down, that kind of the hammer disappeared and was replaced by a whole bunch of sculpting tools, books on sculpting, also a nice pat on the head and praise for the boy for his first sculpture, which in that parallel reality that also had just created his first sculpture under slightly different circumstances he was allowed to. But in this universe for it, he was praised and supported, grew up actually to become Someone who did a lot of really great sculptures in their youth, but then moved on to other art forms as they grew up and kind of lived a long, full life full of different interests and contributions to society. 
Uh, when he was older and giving a recounting of his life, he said, I trace this all back to that moment when I jumped from the universe where children were discouraged with hammers to the universe where children were encouraged by listening to them and encouraging them in their interests, he said. The universe that he jumped into was a type of utopia, you know? It wasn't an outlandish, over-the-top or wild, inverted world kind of utopia. Just a very standard, run-of-the-mill Yeah, yeah no, <laughs> no oceans of lemonade here, but everyone has enough to drink. Yeah, just in general, children were always taken care of, and they were part of communities that were bigger than nuclear families. Their welfare no longer contingent on parents navigating a harsh and brutal economic system. Schools in this world weren't like factories, had smaller class sizes, more freedom, more self-direction, more democracy. Some kids do unschooling, self-directed learning is the norm. Children have privacy, dignity, treated as people in the most fundamental political way have a say in what goes on around them and what their own life is to be like. Yeah, they've really struck a perfect balance between giving children agency in the areas where they're able to help make decisions and also protecting children, protecting childhood, making sure that they have enough and they're free from neglect and abuse. Child poverty has been eliminated, obviously. Child imprisonment has been eliminated, obviously. Parents and children are never separated for frivolous or, or circumstantial reasons. Children are treated as full citizens, full people, regardless of at what point in their development they are. It's recognized that they have different needs the day they're born than they do at 17 years old. Parents feel relief. They feel like they're supported, able to spend quality time with their children, but also get the help they need and time away from their children. They rest, other caring adults involved. Really, it's beautiful. And this society, it doesn't just stop at the way they relate towards children. It could be described as a perfect age-topia, where respect and dignity and personhood is afforded to people at all ages and all stages of development thriving in non-competition as a differently aged complementary whole, which compared to our society means, in most cases, the old are giving up some of their power. And as for that man in the original universe with the hammer about to crush the hands of the boy, he was transported into the body of the boy and his original man body dropped dead and his own hands were crushed, and he had to live out his life with crushed hands as an ironic punishment for him playing that role. The end. All right, folks, this has been Seriously Wrong. Thanks for listening. We're Shot and Aaron. We do the podcast Seriously Wrong. Yes. And we appreciate you spending your time and attention with us today to, to think about some of these issues of age and aging, youthhood and parenthood. <laughs> Youth rights. Child rights, childism. Child rights activism. Yeah. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed it, check out our Patreon, and we'll see you again soon. And might we just say before we go that we think you're childish in a non-pejorative way, like the intense capacity for learning, the, the inquisitiveness, the asking of critical questions, the yearning for freedom and joy and happiness and community and... Hugs from mom. Well, thank you on behalf of me and everyone for calling me childish and us. Yeah. You're welcome on behalf of me and you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> See you all next week or next time. Maybe something's wrong. You're dead wrong. 
Get wrong.